When you're looking for more and there's no place to go It's a sequels only bonus show It's not about sequels this time, you know It's a sequels only bonus show Doug and his pals, well, they know what to do Talking about movies without a part two Looking for more and there's no place to go It's a sequels only bonus show Talking to stars with Doug Ditt's soul It's a sequels only bonus show Sequels only bonus show. Hey there, Doug here. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. Happy Monday. I know Monday's the worst day of the week, but we know it is. So we're going to make it so much better by giving you this amazing bonus interview with someone I went to high school with, someone I graduated with, and that's Hollywood producer. Nicole Aguilar. We talked about how she started working into it. We didn't really, we had class together in high school, but we never talked about interests. She loved film. We talked about how she pursued it right after high school. She wanted to get out of Dodge, which I totally understand. And we just talked about her journey and a lot of things along the way uh, and how she got to work on shows like Big Little Lies uh, starring Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman. So amazing stories. And we talked about other things and other passions she had. So there's NikkiNurtures.com. Um, which is her website, super inspirational. She has some books that she's writing, one that she's working on right now. And I'll put all of her social media accounts and her website in the notes so you could check it all out. She was amazing. We had a lot of fun. It was cool catching up um, because I can only see her from a distance on social media, but she's super inspirational. And uh, I love being able to catch up with her. Uh, It's the first time we've talked face-to-face and not in comments on social media in years. So without further ado, here is Nicole Aguilar. Hey. Learn your background. <laughs> it's all you. I do it for everyone, so why not? That's so rad. Thank you. I feel like I need another light. Oh. Oh, nice. Nice. There we go. Sweet. This is awesome. Are you Freddy Krueger esque? I did. I told you I might show up in costume and I like it. It's better than I did. I just like took an old shirt and like put like knife slits on it and stuff. Yeah. This was my attempt at like the slutty Halloween costume, but I'm so short that it's just a respectable dress. (laughs) That's sweet. So I don't know the last time. So we'll just start right now. So like, I can't even tell you the last time that I, did you ever stay in town after high school? No, I, um, I packed up and left, uh, two weeks after I, graduated just kind of like on a wing and a prayer (laughs) that's right so we'll start from there so so growing up we went to south plainfield new jersey so you did you did drama and all that right yeah and sang yeah i was super into the arts you know i tell everybody that out here that thinks i'm cool that i'm like "Mm, i lettered in marching band so (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there's a cool bone in my body, but um, yeah, I did marching band. I did regular band, choir, drama. I was, you know, always in the arts and I was a film nerd. Um, nice. So there's a lot home, of cool, ner- like, there's a lot of cool people in the marching band. Tom Kazula, Basil, Bubnik, Lama. Yeah, for sure. Like pretty there were a handful people. of us yeah. that were <laughs> pretty rad. <laughs> so from there, like, what did you do? Like when, you, where'd you go to school or did you just go right out there and Um, So I decided to go to film school and I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia. Oh, sweet. Um, Why uh, Georgia? 
they had one of the best film programs in the country other than like NYU. They were, you know, ranked really high. And I don't know if you've ever been to Savannah, but oh, it's we love it. absolutely yeah, gorgeous. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. you know, it's just such a rad little town and um, you know, it was, it was a great experience in the film department there. And I, um, concentrated in producing and screenwriting and, um, you know, taking all the other classes like you would for cinematography and lighting and field and, you know, all that. But, um, I, I really loved it. And, you know, like I said, two weeks after I graduated, <laughs> I was kind of like deuces, New Jersey, like That's we're, awesome. we're done. <laughs> That's great. It's probably the best thing you could have done. Savannah is like, we stopped there when we moved out to Portland uh, the second time. And like, it was so cool. And then we always watch Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And like, you just like, there's something about that city and not a lot of stuff is like set there. It's such a funky, cool town. Yeah. Oh, and I love Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And I feel like whenever I'm like, you know, homesick for Savannah, I watch Forrest Gump. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. So how long, how many years were you, is it four years? Four years. And then I've been out in LA for 11. Sweet. So what was your first step? So obviously like some of the people I talked to, they're like, I want to try acting. And they like fall into it or they're just like, they knew somebody and they started writing because they were English majors. So like you being dedicated, going to school for it, what was your first step going out there? Do you have contacts from going to school at Savannah? A couple, but not um, enough, I, I'd say. And it was kind of a, a wing and a prayer, um, as many of my college friends did. We we're just like, that's the place to be. So we're going to go and we're going to figure it out. Um, and I think, you know, like many people, I started off as a PA, production assistant on set. Um, so I did, you know, some freelance work and, you um, wound up landing in an office setting, um, skip film, which I honest, I don't think that they're still open because the owner of the company now is like the CFO for El Rey network. Um, but you know, I, I worked with skip chase and he's just an awesome editor and, um, they primarily did trailer and TV creative. So they're the people that like, you know, cut all the spots together creatively. Um, and then they had a small reality TV section that I wound up being able to transition from being like basically an assistant to post-production assistant for them um, in reality. And um, after that, I went to another trailer company and I was hired on as an associate producer. So I was able to kind of run some more low-key theatrical campaigns. Um, I did Scary Movie 5. Oh, wow. I just watched Scary Movie 4 because that's our next movie. Look at that, Scary Movie 5. Yeah, you know, the highlight of my career maybe. I don't know. Um, so what? So just to backtrack, so like you, when you're doing like the PA, do you remember like the first thing you PA'd on? You said it was a uh, show? Um. So funnily enough, it was before the time that there was like tons of um, internet content. Yeah. So it was a um, a small sort of there's shorts um, of internet um, wellness type of videos or reality sort of things, Um, and it was kind of like a new niche, Um, and it was for MSN. Oh, cool. And then um, I did work on Celebrity Holiday Homes. 
on okay. HGTV. <laughs> was there anybody that you were able to, you were on set for that or? Yeah, I wasn't on set PA and it was um, in Holly Robinson Pete's house. Oh yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. So they came in, you know, with a designer and it was like the middle of the summer in Los Angeles and we're setting up a Christmas tree and, <laughs> you know, not to give away all the Hollywood secrets, yeah. but it was probably fucking July. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did that. Um, I think there was one other, it's like kind of a blur a commercial when I was in Savannah and uh, yeah, on set stuff is a beast like the yeah. hours are long but the good thing about that is like once you're done you're done yeah yeah so once yeah, i yeah. started to transition into those more you know office jobs it's like oh i have to keep my cell phone on 24 hours a day <laughs> <laughs> no i was trying to remember the first time that i was like man when was when did i know nicole like worked in la or did anything like that and i wrote down and this is like way after, but now I remember you just mentioned that. It was like a dog show, right? Wasn't it like some kind of animal show? So I did, um, it was probably, I think it was four years ago. I, I had a little stint up in the Bay Area and there's a small production company up there called um, Indigo Films. Oh yeah, and that's what it I was, wound yeah. up, I wound up working on Nat Geo Wild shows so yeah. i did you know world's greatest dogs dogs all shapes and sizes um unlikely animal friends and um it's actually a lot harder than it seems like everyone watching it's probably like oh you just like go out and you shoot these like <laughs> cute little animals but when you think about it like it's national geographic and all of your statements made in that show need to be fact-checked so that was part of my job was to go through the script and annotate everything and then you hand it into their legal department and they go okay this is fine you have to take this line out or you know find another source for this and we'll let it pass and you know it was a huge learning experience and it's it's nice to work on stuff like that where the network and the studio have such a high bar for what they're putting out on television that yeah. like, even if it's world's greatest dogs, all of that information was vetted. <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. But no, it's true. That's cool that you like, that's pretty wild. So you had to make sure, cause other shows don't do that. Like I interviewed people at like one girl had like a small bit part on not ER. Oh, Grey's Anatomy. And she said like her sister's a nurse and she's like the lines in the show like were not like what nurses say like the phrases and stuff it's yeah. funny how that happens even like when you watch a movie and you're like all right wait that cup was just like halfway full and it's weird how those things pass but it's crazy for a show like that they're like hey it better be exact yeah no exactly and um you know it was it was a great opportunity and i really liked my my little stint up there and um you know, it's a, a freelance stuff. So in between the Nat Geo shows, they would try to keep me busy so that I was employed the entire time so that when the Nat Geo show came back, they would just shift me over. So I wound up doing some like post coordinating for Sex Sent Me to the Slammer. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I heard Sex um, Sent Me the to the ER, died. That's crazy. Slam. Yeah, you know, it's just like a bunch of people having sex in public and getting arrested. And, you know, it, you know, I came in on the back end and they're like, oh, I don't know if we have room to fit you in the credits. And I'm like, that's fine. 
So what, what? So you have credits, obviously. It's on IMDb. What is it? What name is it under? Is it just your name? I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I'm um, just Nicole Aguilar. I don't actually don't have an IMDb. Page. Oh, so I probably yeah, somebody has some Yeah, um, but yeah, I have credits all over the place. Yeah, because I, I was going to say, I remember the one was like Little Big Lies, right? Oh yeah, that was. And I was like, one. I remember all these people saying something. So I'm like, that's her name, and I was like, oh, maybe she changed it for something but because usually they tag people in it but yeah you should make one so you yeah, have everything yeah, on there i absolutely should and like go through the rolodex of things that i've worked on yeah. because i just did um another podcast for the university of uh houston's communication department and That's they're like awesome. what have you worked on and i'm like a million things and I can remember three. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And some things you wouldn't even believe wouldn't be on your IMDb because I interviewed a casting director. He had like 11 things. It's an interview I'm putting out in two weeks. Probably the coolest guy. I like hounded him since I first started this. And in the beginning, he was like, I don't do interviews. And again, like a casting director, you can't Google them and see what they look like. But this guy was amazing. He finally gave in because he said Police Academy 6 was like, the worst experience of his career. So he's like, since I like that movie, cause I wrote that in the email, he, yeah. uh, he gave me an hour and like legit. He was like, it was like 15 minutes ago. And I'm like, Oh my God, what should I ask about? So I asked about like Seagal and, uh, he was like, all right, time's up. And I'm like, Oh man. He's like, Hey, uh, that was a lot of fun, but, uh, I don't want to do anymore. I'm like, Oh damn it. But those are the people like he told me his IMDb has like 12 things. But he said he legit casted for like a hundred movies, but they didn't use him when they started like filming. So you don't get the credit, but it's crazy uh, the whole process. Yeah. And I production mean, designers, a, everyone. They get like a huge process of like who's in the credits and how you credit. So technically, when I was at Technicolor, my title was producer. But because there's actual producers for the production, you can't be titled that way. So they say, you know, like DI producer, which is digital intermediate for like the color correction. Yeah. And like sometimes it's it's changed to fit, you know, what the network or the um, studio wants to see. Yeah. So they want to make sure that you don't get confused with the other. The people. other producers. Yeah. So how, when did that start? When were you... Uh, Working with when was the first time you worked with Technicolor? Because that's like a huge deal. That company. It was. Um, they're over a hundred years old, which yeah. is you know, it's just like steeped in history. You know, yeah. um, I started there in August of 2016, so almost you know a month and a half after I moved back from San Francisco, and it was insane to walk through the halls and have all of those old one sheets and they have like the old Technicolor cameras that, you know, they would have used on Gone with the Wind and yeah. Um, yeah. to see all that and be like, wow, they hired me. <laughs> um, but I, I started off in the theatrical marketing department. So basically finishing trailers. So I kind of, you know, I have a production background, but I went from like kind of like creative vendor where you're cutting together the trailer to actually like going in and finishing the trailers. And um, it was a, a great experience. I, you know, caution anyone going into that, like over the age of 25, it may be a little bit difficult because <laughs> of just the nature of how marketing runs for theatrical 
releases. It's, you know, you're always a day late and a dollar short and, you know, VFX are late and the director's upset last minute. And, um, you know, I constantly kind of felt like I was in a room that was on fire and everyone's (laughs) spraying gasoline and you're like, what are you doing? (laughs) Um, but I, I worked primarily on the 20th Century Fox account. That's so awesome. I did Logan and I did um, Kingsman Golden Circle um, and, you know, just their big tent poles. Um, probably my favorite was Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah, that's what I wrote on here. That was the one of the first things that I thought I saw. But then once you started talking, I remember like the animal shows. I'm like, oh, yeah, but yeah, Bad Times. I think I, I watched that movie because you shared that you worked on it. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was just a great experience because um, very rarely do you have filmmakers that are collaborative and, you know, everyone is even keeled. Um, And, you know, they walk into the room and everybody kind of feels like family and, you know, there's a give and take. And um, the uh, DP Seamus was probably my favorite person by the (laughs) end of it. He just had like the best attitude and, you know, that brogue of his. And when he would call me in the morning, like, you know, hi, can I come up and see the trailer before, you know, Drew gets here? And I'm like, sure, why not? Come on up. Um, it was just, we did a lot of work on that campaign, but it, it never felt difficult and even when the hours were long and I'm still in a theater with the director at, you know, <laughs> 10 o'clock at night and I have deluxe, like, when are you guys sending it to us? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, it just, wow. <laughs> it felt fine. Um, but yeah, that's how I, I started at Technicolor. And then um, I transitioned into their episodic broadcast department to do um, – TV shows and stuff for streaming. So it was basically taking my knowledge of finishing a trailer, which is, you know, the smaller kind of chunk yeah, and bringing that knowledge to episodic and learning their workflow um, because everyone is different in their own sense. Um, but, you know, your SEAL team that you're coming out with an episode every week is different from like a Netflix or HBO where they drop all the episodes. So it's, you know, there's like a give and take and, yeah. you know, a little bit of dancing that you have to do, but that was also a great experience. And, you know, Big Little Lies was huge. And yeah. I, you know, my cousins were like sending me screen grabs because they didn't know that I was working on it. And they're like, your name is in the credits of an HBO show. And I was like, I know. And like, it almost put me in the grave. But um, yeah, to work on stuff of that caliber is, you know, I think what everybody works toward and um it was it was definitely an interesting experience it was hard and difficult at times but um I think getting through that made me a better producer and then eventually I was splitting my time between the episodic department and theatrical so then I was doing tv and movies um just because you know, I always want to be an asset and I want to know, you know, all the different intricacies of each workflow and the process and the systems behind it. And they were testing out the idea of having producers that could float and do both. Um, And, you know, not everybody wanted to, and it wasn't a requirement, but, you know, I'm the like, 
I'll do it. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, why not? Like, let's try. And yeah. if it crashes and burns, then we know that this isn't, you know, the right thing to do as a company. But, you know, at least we we try. And, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, the pacing for the two things are very different, you know, for a theatrical project, you have, you know, months and maybe over a year and everything is kind of um, <clears throat> spaced out. And then with episodic, you're, you're way faster, which I think the marketing side of what I was doing made me able to kind of just touch and go between the two. Yeah. So when it came to the, what was the process for like the trailers? Like you guys would all get together and it'd be like, all right, like you would see these movies, right? So you'd watch these movies too? Yeah. So on the creative side, when you're at a trailer house, you yeah. would get preview cuts yeah. of the movies. Sometimes if they didn't have a preview cut yet, they would send the script over to you. So you would read the script and kind of, you know, obviously use your imagination and think of, all right, if I'm going to create a trailer off of just what I'm reading, I want to pull this dialogue. I want to pull these imageries. And essentially when you get the actual preview cut or whatever they're sending over to you, sometimes it's the dailies and you go through and you cut everything together. And then what happens on the finishing side with, you know, what Technicolor does is that trailer vendor will send you hopefully what the locked trailer is and you rebuild it with all of the high resolution footage. Oh, okay. Um, and it's all, you know, camera native. So basically what happens after we build it is that it goes to a colorist and they apply, you know, whatever LUT to it. They grade it to where it's supposed to be or where they think it's supposed to be. And then you have the filmmakers come in and you review it and you make the changes on the fly. And then somebody's like, all right, ship it. And then you start running all of the deliverables and then it goes out the door. And it's similar to episodic and, you know, full movies for theatrical as well, where you're getting the offline from production editorial, you're rebuilding it, you're grading it, and then you're sending it out. That's awesome. I love the fact that you're getting the dailies, which is pretty rad. But like, even if that's unavailable, so that's so cool. You're reading the script and you're like, wow, like visually, the way I'm seeing this, let me like highlight that because that'll be really cool too have in a trailer. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a a cool process. And every time I, you know, would explain to people, well, what do you do exactly? I felt like I had to start at the birth of Christ for them to actually understand where I'm like, all right, so anything that they're shooting on set are called dailies (laughs) (laughs) and they don't use all of that stuff, but you know, they send it over. And that's why there's so many times where people are like, so there was this whole scene in the trailer that's not in the movie. And I'm like, yeah, that happens all the time. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true because you kind of sell yourself short if you're just like, you know, I'm a trailer producer. You just say like the one thing. It's like people think of producer, I think, and they think something that isn't even close to what it is. So you have to mention like all the stuff that you, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, it's a long process, especially it's got to be even like you volunteered, you said nobody had to really do it, but it probably is pretty good because you have one that's like that long play, the, the theatrical. And at the same time you have that, because I love that whole weekly thing. So I like, I growing up, I was obsessed with the, like the whole system of like SNL. 
Like you yeah. go in on, two, you know, like there's no jokes yet. And then you're trying to figure it out. It's kind of the same thing because in a week, you know, or even shorter sometimes, I'm sure you're cutting stuff together. It's depending on how far in advance that they shoot it. Yeah. I mean, some shows are definitely more buttoned up than others. I felt like um, SEAL Team was rinse, lather, repeat. Yeah. And the executive producer came in every Tuesday and signed off and then we shipped it. And during that week, while we're working on, you know, the episode that's going to air, you know, say that Monday, we're also cutting together the next episode and getting that ready for the following Tuesday when he comes back to look at episode, you know, 203. Um, so it's definitely, there's, there's so many steps in the process. And yeah. like you said, there are various types of producers. And I think that that's something that gets kind of overlooked where it's like, you know, you have your producers that are on the production side, making sure that the movie is coming together. You have VFX producers that are making sure that the VFX are getting done on time. And you have me that's making sure that we're getting it built and color corrected and we're calling out anything that might be wrong with it and getting it shipped over to the, you know, place that's wrapping the DCP or the broadcast network. So there's so many players. Yeah. No, it's a, there's a, like a big process with it. So, so you said you went to school for like, obviously this and screenwriting. So all this time, obviously you're working a lot because it's demanding. You're working a lot of hours. Yeah. So are you, were you, are you writing at all? Are you writing any like pilots? I am writing, um, you know, there was a, a stint of time where what I was doing was so consuming that, you know, I was exhausted at a certain point and I just like didn't have that like chutzpah to keep going, right? Where I was like, oh my God, that's like the last thing I want to do right now is sit down and write a screenplay. <laughs> um, but I do have some in the works um, and one of them that I hope to finish next year um, is a slasher film, yes. but with a female lead, which I think will be kind of awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we're, we're definitely kind of picking up on that, um, which is really exciting. And now I, I've kind of structured my life to be able to do all of that writing while also working in post-production. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. And again, I don't know how long, how long have you been doing, you know, like Nikki Nurtures? How, when did that come about and all that? It's really cool. That came about, um, in 2014, I think, um, you know, it, I kind of look at life as a, a constant journey of discovery and growth. Um, and I had made, you know, a lot of shifts along the way of my time out here and who I was. And I felt like people were constantly asking me for advice, which is fine. Like, and that's great that like yeah. people are like, wow, you're like Buddha, like talk to me. Um, <laughs> And um, one of my friends was just like, you know, you should just start a blog and like see where it takes you. And, um, you know, I, I worked on it. And then like anything, sometimes like it kind of peters off. And um, I think in the last couple years, it, you know, became important to me. And I think especially now and the climate that, you know, the country is in to yes. kind of have that you know, I know shit's bad, but like, let me tell you what I do when I'm having a bad day or like how I've shifted my mindset to not really get lost in this 
sort of mucky stuff, but also just be real and go, you know, I have bad days where I don't get out of bed too. Like we're the same. Yeah. Um, but you know, at a certain point I go, okay, this is enough. And you get up and you wash your face and like you get work done, you go outside, you do your writing and, um, it is a a huge passion project for me and one that I feel like I can also kind of encompass into my writing because I, I do so much kind of personal development yeah. writing and wanting to give people tools for a better life because at a certain point I can give you all the advice in the world, but if you don't have the tool to actually do it yourself, then it doesn't mean anything. So this year in the downtime that I had because of COVID, yeah. I was like, you know what? It's the perfect opportunity to finish those journals that I was working on. And um, I've been writing a book that I'm hoping will be done in January um, called You're the Reason You're Miserable. Oh, that's <laughs> Good for you. And just kind of like a, a sassy guide to navigating life's shifts. And, you know, I was initially kind of like putting on my customer service voice, which I feel like a lot of people do. And then, you know, it was like maybe a month and a half ago I was writing and I was like, you know what? No, like I want somebody to feel like they're talking to their girlfriend from New Jersey. (laughs) So I kind of like stripped that. I threw the F-bombs in that I wanted (laughs) to throw in and, um, and, you know, it's coming along really nicely. And, you know, it's, it's going to be just about everything that you could possibly go through in life is like getting over childhood trauma and, you know, love that didn't work out and being true to yourself. And, you know, it's, it's how you get to where I am, where it's like, you know, that, that courage to be like, I don't have a job and I don't really know anybody, but I'm just going to go and I'm going to trust it. And then meeting the universe halfway. Cause you know, you can't be like, well, I want to be this, but you're not actually doing it. Totally. Um, so then, you know, that this year has just been about me like doing it and, you know, not only giving it to other people, but proving it to myself that, you know, I have good things to say. And if I can help one person, then Nikki Nurtures has succeeded. Hell yeah. No, that's the mindset. I think that's what's so fascinating by all the stuff that you share. It's like so positive. It's so funny, like, I don't know if you feel this way, like me personally, like I look at myself like from, God, even like a few years ago, five, five, 10 years ago, I'm like, man, I really wish somehow, again, I wouldn't be where I am right now, maybe not with my wife, now with my daughter, but like the way I am mentally now, it is like, it's mind blowing, like how mentally clear and how driven I am, older, like going back to school, have a daughter, work from home, right? Uh, do this because I love like exactly what you just said even if it's somebody that listens to one of these and they're like man I really want to do this or man that was really enjoyable or even the people I interviewed like I told you that guy was like he had this experience where I'm Beastmaster 3 24 years ago and just hearing him talk about it and seeing the look on his face it was like the greatest thing And I went inside and told my wife I'm like Jamie this is like the most satisfying like inter- like interview I ever did I'm like it's like the coolest thing about it. It's like, and that's what I love about your, the girl boss uh, spotlights. So what made you start thinking about doing that? Um, 
I've grown to, you know, I think that especially as women and, you know, being younger and, you know, I don't know if you remember the dynamics of our high school, but, you know, just all of these girls competing with each other and, yeah. you know, like who steals the guy and, you know, all that sort of bullshit. Yes. And, yes. you know, sometimes that follows people into adult life. But for me and where I am now mentally, it was kind of like, you know, there is room for everyone to succeed because all of our successes are going to be tailored to what we're doing. Yeah. And to our audiences. And I wanted to use my blog and that platform to kind of shine a light onto other girl bosses. And I feel like a, a lot of them are in the arena of kind of like the self-help personal development. Um, and I specifically did that because I am not the end-all be-all of advice. And if you're like, oh, I'm not really jiving with Nikki, but yeah. she posted this person that, you know, does coaching or whatever. And I actually really like her vibe. Then like, I've also succeeded because I've helped, you know, two people yeah. find, you know, what they need. And I've given, you know, this person the platform and then this person the platform to find, you know, exactly the advice that they were seeking. So, um, you know, I try to do one once a week and I reach out to people on, you know, Instagram that I find and sometimes Facebook or blogs so that I, you know, come across and I'm just like, Hey, I really like what you're doing. I do this girl boss spotlight on my blog. Um, you know, I can send you the interview questions and, you know, if you, you want to sing the praises of yourself and the business and like what you've created, like, let's do it. And, um, you know, I post them and I put them on Facebook and I tweet and, you know, whatever happens, happens. But it was really important to me to, you know, just give that spotlight to other people as well, because we're all trying to do good and we yeah. all do things differently. And, you know, you might not resonate with what I'm saying, but, you know, this girl over here says the same thing, but with different words. And then all of a sudden it sparks something in you. And like, that's what it's about. And that's what it should be about. That's so great that you say that because there's other people that would be like, hey, listen to me. I'm the end all be all and don't check yeah. anybody else. But you're right. You know, sometimes you're like, hey, maybe it's not that, but at least you could still connect those people. And then at the same time, you're, you're, you're able to like kind of like pick the brain of other people sort of like in your realm. And that's pretty cool. And I think it's very, you know, I love having a daughter and I'm, I didn't really want a son because I think, that is like not like a job that I have, but in my head, I'm like, dude, I want her, especially nowadays, it's so different than even just the way we grew up. I want her to just be like so kick ass and so like just grab the world and just like do whatever she wants because I felt like us growing up, uh, obviously, I'm not a girl, but I just saw it in other people and it's like so shitty the way, just the way the world is. But people like you and the people that you reach out to, like, you know, can help those people that might feel that sort of way and build them up because you're super positive with a lot of the things you post and like empower people, which is so important. Yeah. And it's important to me to not only empower, but to be real. Yeah. And, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves and it's like kind of cringeworthy is, um, again, it's, it's not that it's wrong way of doing things, but like the people that post pictures of them crying or mid meltdown 
And I understand that, you know, in that realm, it's very real and very raw and you're going to write whatever you write under the picture. But for me, it's like, I would rather sit with whatever is bothering me, compose myself, understand why I'm having that emotional reaction. And then maybe either on Instagram or a lengthy blog say, you know, I, you know, I had this moment the other day where I was just like in the tub crying, like Hallmark (laughs) movie style. And, you know, um, this is what caused it. And this is kind of how I worked through it because I feel like while the, the crying is very real, it's not necessarily helpful in what I look for. Where it's like, I would rather know that like you went through something terrible and came out the other side without actually needing to see the terrible thing. Yeah, no, that's good. It's good to do the way that you would look at it. And I'm not saying those other people do it. Uh, Maybe they do feel that's the way they need to get their point across, like posting that photo and their blurb underneath. But it's good that you're doing something like that you believe in because other people would be like, I'm doing this because these are going to get likes and like, a certain reaction. Right. So you're helping those people that are kind of thinking the same way you do. So you're, you don't, yeah. you're not a phony, you know, and everybody's different. And I'm oh, sure that course. there are people that look at me that are like, well, she shits rainbows and that can't be real. And I'm like, but if you were actually reading what I was saying, you would yeah. know that that is absolutely not true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a Scorpio. I go dark real quick. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you know, the Nikki nurtures thing is, it's fun and it's, you know, and it's not just an outlet for me, but a way to help other people. And, um, I think that especially in these days, it's nice to see people doing all of the things that they love, because I feel like even growing up, it was like, you need to decide and you need to pick and then you do it until you die. And I'm like, why? (laughs) You know? And I, I understand that maybe in years past that that stability, was helpful in a certain way. Relationship dynamics were a certain way because of the time. But now like you can do anything. And I tell people all the time, like don't let somebody tell you that you lack direction. You're just multi-directional. Yeah. And then it's up to you to decide how you do all those things and also decide what success means to you. Because somebody will look at you and be like, well, I mean, it's just a YouTube thing, but the amount of effort that goes into it and, you know, you have views and, you know, you have followers and whatever, it's just like, okay, maybe to you that it's just like this whatever, but to the person doing it, it's something that they really love to do. And I'll never poo-poo that, you know, I have lots of friends that do a plethora of things. Yeah. The, the key is to not get lost and keep jumping because you're looking for the golden ticket. It's like, do it because you love it. Release the expectation of the outcome. So, you know, I work in post-production. I'm constantly writing. I do Nikki nurtures. You know, I don't feel like I'm spinning. I'm very much going, okay, well, I'm going to do this here and then I'm going to do this here and I'm going to do this here. And this is how I get to do everything that my soul is calling me to do. Yeah. And then balance. I'm going to say two phrases that are like, make me sound like I'm trying to be hip, but like YOLO, it's so corny, but it is true. You only live once. Like 
my birthday's coming up. So like, I always think, I forgot who said the quote. I'm sure it's been said a trillion times, but like, you know, you have like the, the day you're born, the day you died, like on a tombstone. So it's like that dash. It's just yeah. like, that's all it is. And you have to like make that worth it. So I don't understand people that just like go through the motions, like at our age, like people that we know, not yeah. going to name any names, but it's just like, I couldn't imagine just like going through it. Like I just, like you said, structure, like, boom, I'm doing this, boom, I'm doing that. And also like, like you said, the people are like, oh, it's just YouTube or, oh, it's just blank. It's like, those people are just haters. Cause they don't have the, they're afraid to like maybe either be their true self or just put themselves out there. And I, I appreciate anyone that does that. Like any form of entertainment or writing, like anybody that is creative arts, and it's like so hard to do that. But when yeah. you do that, it, you almost feel like free. You're like, you're literally the most vulnerable people because yeah. you're like, here's my baby. Please don't judge it. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, you got to work through that. Cause I feel like there were points in my life where I was going through the motions and that was when I was having like those most depressive states because I wasn't in alignment with who I am. And I was listening to the people around me telling me like, no, this is how you do life until, you know, one day you're like, no, fuck you. And <laughs> I'm going to go like do it my way. And if it doesn't work, then I tried, but like yeah. give yourself the opportunity to try and prove it to yourself. That's exactly it. Because if you don't try, like you can't, there's no like repeats, you know, you can't like do it over again. It's just like, it's going to be it. So for that dash. So, so Nikki, what are the other books? So you have like, I think this is really rad. So you came up with this idea cause this is really cool. Yeah. So I, um, Earlier in the summer, I self-published a cookbook because cooking is, you know, one of my passions and something that I had folded into Nikki Nurtures because I was sharing recipes. Yeah. And um, it was, you know, cooking was also the thing that kept me from murdering people, I felt like. <laughs> uh, and it's just such a huge part of like me growing up of, you know, having that family that, you know, the door was always open. You probably always had some sort of dinner guest that just showed up and they would pull up a chair or the coffee's on, the Entenmann's cake would come out Nice. and creating just kind of that, you know, uh, you know, everybody's around the dinner table yeah. and there's, there's a lot of love in that. And, um, there's a lot of love in, cooking like you're you can't cook without love nobody's making hate sandwiches like that's <laughs> it's not a thing you know like if you're you could be mad at making the sandwich but it's still because you love the person you're going to give it to <laughs> um <laughs> that's great so i wanted um you know not just you know my cookbook to come out but also something for people to create their own and it would be full of you know your family's cherished recipes or, you know, your friend's artichoke dip or whatever it is so that you have this keepsake and it wasn't the old school index cards. Yeah. And you could put it with all of your other cookbooks and also something that, you know, eventually maybe you cast down and, you know, everybody's name is in there of like, you know, this is the recipe for chicken cacciatore from the kitchen of, you know, and whatever. Yeah. And, you know, then it kind of becomes a history for your family. That's and, cool. you know, I just, I, 
I designed it. I actually put it together like overnight. Like I couldn't sleep. And I was like, well, I guess I'm being called to do this right now. And I was up to like six o'clock in the morning and, you know, I, I designed the whole thing and then, and I published it a couple weeks later. That's awesome. And then there's a few other ones on there. So what I'll do to make it easier, I'll just put all the links in the episode notes and like whenever I share it and everything and put your website and all your socials and everything. But uh, awesome. Thank this you. has been so rad. Yeah, this has been fantastic. And I'm glad that we could talk about like all the things, you know? Yeah. Not- Nicole was really awesome. How amazing was that? She dressed up because she saw in one of our reviews, I don't even know which one it was that I dressed up because it's fun to dress up for these things. Do a million people watch it? No. Close to a million? Yes. So uh, it was cool that she dressed up like Freddy Krueger. If you're, if you're uh, watching this, you saw it. If you're listening, she was dressed up like Freddy Krueger. So yeah, all of her links are in the notes so you can check it out. And don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at Sequels Only, and don't forget to check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night.